Welcome to the Fit for Golf podcast, where we talk about all things related to golf, fitness, and health improvement. In this episode, I am joined by Dr. Sasho McKenzie. Sasho has a PhD in sports biomechanics, which focused on the golf swing. Sasho is touted by many experts in the golf industry as the smartest mind in golf. I recently took Sasho and Phil Cheatham's Forces and Motion online course, and the things I learned were a factor behind some of the exercises in my recent Golf Strong program. The focus of this episode with Sasho was everything to do with clubhead speed. What determines it, and how can we get more? Maybe the best thing about Sasho is that he is not just an academic, he also applies his very in-depth scientific background with real-world coaching and in his own game. Did you know there is a Fit for Golf app loaded with training material? It is the only golf fitness resource you will ever need and is currently being used by six PGA Tour players, two European Tour players, and thousands of amateurs all over the world. Check it out on www fitforgolf.blog and use the code FFGTRIAL to get a one-month trial for just $6. You will not find it in the App Store. You must go to my website. Now to Sasho McKenzie. Sasho, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. I really appreciate it. Would you mind providing us with an overview of the things you currently do in the world of golf performance? Sure. Um, kind of cover a wide range of activities, I guess. Um, I'm a professor at university and, um, most of my research is, is focused on, on golf. Um, so I, you know, I kind of publish pretty regularly, um, some golf science stuff. I published a paper this April on, uh, how amateur golfers deliver energy to the driver. Um, and related to that, I, I, I published a, quite a bit of stuff with, uh, the folks at ping, um, whom I'm, a, also a brand ambassador for, um, around how the, the golfer interacts with, uh, putters and drivers in particular. Um, and I, I guess I also kind of moving a little bit further away, uh, from academia, I do a lot of, uh, consulting with, uh, with FootJoy as well. Um, uh, kind of working a lot on now parameterizing shoes the same way that um, drivers would be parameterized instead of just comparing models, actually comparing um, individual elements, traction elements, certain stiffnesses in certain ways, how the, the those parameters affect performance. Um, I um, What else do I got going on? I guess I, I work with a lot of tour coaches um, from an education standpoint. So I've got a a bit of an education certification thing with, uh, with Phil Cheatham, um, do a lot of consulting that way. Um, tour, the tour coaches that I work with, it's usually, uh, they have theories about, um, you know, how they might approach a swing change with their player. And I kind of, you know, make sure that the theory is solid, that they're not doing something that violates the laws of physics or the principles of biomechanics. Um, and I also work with, um, tour players myself, um, uh, usually alongside the coach, I'll go in and kind of do some, some biomechanics or also some, uh, some, some training. Um, my, uh, my, my background 
kind of outside of academia is really as a more of a strength and conditioning person or a coach spent 10 years at a university as a strength and conditioning person for track and field and volleyball. And, um, so I've kind of applied that to golf as well. Um, that's probably enough. Yeah, no, that's, that's excellent. It's, I think it's, it's good. So people can get a, can get an insight into exactly what you're doing and maybe most importantly, you're also your current club champion. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So you can, you can play a little bit as well. Um, I went through your online forces and more forces and motion course, Sasha, the one with Phil Cheatham. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a science background just from college and undergrad where I did a, a little bit of physics and biomechanics, definitely not an expert, but it was easy to see from going through the course that there is a huge amount of physics to the golf swing and things can be measured. So there's there's no real necessity to guess anymore with, with the technology and knowledge that we have. And because you have such a good understanding of these forces that are going on in the golf swing, but you also have a great background in sort of the physiology or the, the physical side of it and how people can develop that, that is kind of basically why um why I would like you why I wanted you to come on. And I'm going to try and base this conversation around something that everybody is talking about at the moment and something that everybody wants, which is club head speed. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants more. I understand this is a broad question, but what are the primary things that dictate club head speed from a biomechanical perspective? Yeah. So um, I like to work back from the ball. So... I would, uh, we'll get into this maybe in a bit, but I would first answer the question, well, what what determines ball speed? And the biggest thing that determines ball speed is club head speed. And then you'd say, okay, well, um, let's just focus on this. I just picture in my head the club moving through space, you know, strictly physics. Um, and uh, then you, you boil down to, well, it's the forces that are applied to it. You've got air resistance, gravity, and the golfer. That's it. Those are the only three things that can change the the speed of the club. And it's also helpful to know that really at the start of the downswing, the club has no speed. So we can even kind of simplify it a little bit even more to help our understanding. So you say, okay, well, what can we do to that club in the 0.2 to 0.3 seconds of the downswing to take its club head speed from zero to whatever we want it to be? Um, and then we need to apply uh, a pers- one of two perspectives from, from physics. We can apply uh, what's called an impulse momentum perspective or a work energy perspective um, say we're going to take a work energy perspective, then there's really only four things that the golfer can do to change that club head speed during the downswing. And the golfer, one of those three forces, you have gravity and air resistance. Gravity and air resistance are not even really worth worrying about because we can't change them uh, from swing to swing, really. We could maybe improve uh, air resistance with uh, some turbulators on a ping driver head or something, but uh, that's not really going to be a, a big knob. Um, so the four things the golfer can do are um, increase uh, the length of their hand path. That's a, a point kind of in the grip in between the two hands. The, 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 the longer that that can be on the downswing, the more potential we have to do uh, linear work on the club. And then the other thing uh, that's really important uh, that relates to linear work is we can apply a higher average force in the direction that that mid hand point is is traveling. So that those two things go into linear work. I like to think of it 
like pushing a car, you know, if you're trying to get a car going really fast, um, the longer you push it, the faster you can get it moving. But uh, also the the harder you push on it, the faster you can get it moving. And you need to be pushing in the direction that the car is traveling in. So if your buddy comes up beside the car and start pushing on the, uh, you know, the driver's side door and you're pushing from behind the bumper, you're like, uh, hey, buddy, why don't you come behind here and push in the direction we're trying to get this car going? So it's not just about applying a big force to the grip. The the force has to be in the direction that the, the grip is traveling in. Uh, and, and linear work is by far the biggest way to 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 change the energy of the club. Um, and the energy that's in the club is going to be 100% correlated to club head speed. Um, then the other two things that the golfer can do to the club um, are uh, change the amount that they're rotating it through on the downswing. Um, so that would be like, uh, uh, say, if you guys out there can picture a Lee Westwood um, or a J.B. Holmes who doesn't have the, the shaft doesn't really get up even to parallel or a Tony Finnow or a John Rahm um, versus a John Daly um, uh, who really kind of wraps the club around him. That's what I'm talking about in terms of a rotation angle. So the more angle you can rotate the club through and the more torque you can apply through that angle, then the more uh, angular work you'll do. So. Um, the more work you do in the club, the more, uh, the, the club's energy is going to change and that's going to pretty much exactly determine what club head speed will be. So there are those four things, hand path length, force along the hand path, amount of rotation and torque applied around that rotation. And I can tell you, um, if your club head speed is going to be higher or lower, if I know those four things. Okay. Fantastic. I'm going to try and interject here, not interject, but just, uh, no, not, not interjects the wrong. Smooth out. No, no, no. Try and uh, I'm just thinking about the people listening who have no science or physics background. Sure. So to increase the length of the hand path, we're really talking here about how far the hands move in the backswing. So that they have a further distance to travel in the downswing. Mostly. Correct? Yep. So, yeah. yeah. And just to clarify, you could, even though you have a great top of backswing position, pull your hands, yank them straight down at the ball. Um that would really suck. So that would minimize that hand path length in the downswing. But in general, you're right. If you can get those hands rotated further back in the backswing by lifting the lead heel, rotating the pelvis more, um, trying to get them a little bit higher in the air, all those things will give you more potential in the downswing for sure. Okay, perfect. Then we also have the distance that the club head travels. So this is where people would have like the John Daly example where the club head has a bigger uh, chance to rotate through a basically bigger range of motion on the downswing. Yeah. That's another one. Well, yeah, but it, technically I wouldn't think of it as the club head. I would think of it as the angle, the shafts going through like a okay. club. So yeah. if I was actually going to calculate it, um, I'd want to know, well, what's the angle that the shaft is moving through? What's that, that angle that we can apply torque over? But you're right that the club head's attached to the end of the shaft. So, yeah. Um, but it's important uh, from my perspective to separate out, is that club traveling further because I'm linearly moving the grip further or because I've uh, rotated the club through a bigger angle? So those, okay. those will contribute differently. But yeah, it technically doesn't, you know, in the end, maybe practically doesn't matter too much. Okay, no, perfect. And then you mentioned um, th with the car example that you're pushing in the right direction. Does that essentially come down to, to good technique as such? I know that's a broad term, but it means that the person is basically moving in a, in a efficient fashion. Yeah, for sure. Some, you know, there's some really early studies done by a company called or a True Temper. They had a product called Shaft Lab and 
some of the worst golfers offended uh, the shaft the most. So they applied really high, high forces, uh, but mm, that wasn't really translating into doing more work in the club. It's like the guy pushing, trying to get the car going fast, but pushing from the side on the door. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay. yeah, you're pushing really hard, but, you know, it's not really contributing to increasing the car's speed. And then the last one you mentioned about the force applied, that's going to come essentially from from muscle force really is it from the ability of the player to produce force yeah and that's the that's the most important one so the average force that you apply along the hand path or how, how hard you're pushing on the back of that car it's by far and away the one that describes the most difference in club head speed across players and it's got the most nuances to it uh certainly for a given player improving your ability to use your muscles would be a big factor but between players, it would probably just be overall downswing coordination um, would play more of a role than uh, their um, ability to to generate force with their muscles. Okay, because I'm, I'm just thinking of an example of if we just had two players who did very similar things in terms of the other three, the hand path length, uh, the distance, the, or the, the way the shaft is rotating or how far it's rotating and the the direction of the force but if you had different players who were of completely different strength and power levels surely there's going to be quite a difference in how much speed they can actually produce yep 100 percent. yeah okay perfect um that's great i think i will have to listen back through that again and maybe the others will too but it is really good to get a scientific underpinning of exactly what needs to happen and i think once you have those those physics or that physics understanding, then it's a little bit easier for people to work down towards, let's say, different type of body moves that might assist in that. Just a simple one, for example, people often ask me or they ask, you know, other people who are trying to help help golfers, does raising my left heel or my lead heel in the backswing increase club head speed? And then you can start to tell them, well, if it allows you get, you know, a bigger hand path distance in the backswing or it allows the club shaft travel further, then maybe, yes, it's it's not the fact just that your heel is re- your heel is raising. You actually have the reasons why. Yeah, to me, that's yeah. If, uh, I, I mean, I come back to it every time. It's OK if we're going to make this change. Well, how does it get out to ball speed? Right. The- yeah. If it could be as, as simple as, well, I'm going to change your grip and we'll, you know, hopefully we'll see some more club. It's be, well, I need to go through that chain of uh, cause and effect about, okay, what's this change in, in grip on the club going to do to get me more ball speed, right? Yeah, no, that's perfect. Um, using that info, Sasha, we're going to imagine a case study. So a 35-year-old tour player, who has had a 115 mile per hour club head speed average, which is bang on average for the PGA Tour, one mile per hour faster, for the last five years comes to you and says they want to get to a 125 mile per hour average, a huge increase. If you're successful in helping them get there in two years, there's a $1 million reward for you. Can you bring us through what you would consider the key things you would want to assess with this player? Sure. Um, it would be a pretty, uh, it'd be a pretty long process, you know, having done this, um, a few times before, um, I would want to know a lot about their history. Um, you know, stuff like, uh, Hey, did, have you played any sports before? Like, did you grow up playing baseball? 
um, some things that I can, you know, rely on in terms of uh, descriptions of feels and, you know, what's their overall athletic ability. Um, I want to know um, their current um, uh, state of physical health, you know, in general, they have any injuries. Uh, I'd want to know what they've currently tried. Have they been trying for five years? Did you say five years? Uh, no, no, no. So uh, for the last five years, yeah. they have a 150 mile per hour club head out. Right. I didn't give you. I didn't give you any info what they've been doing for those five years. Yeah. So, uh, so but they're they're kind of stuck at 115. Yeah. So I want to yeah. know. Hey, have you have you tried to do anything? Uh, you know, and I want to know what they tried. Um, certainly, I don't want to re- repeat any past mistakes. Um, and uh, you know, I'd w- obviously want to take a look at their current swing uh, t- to see. You know, okay what do we have what do we have here to work with um you know if they already look like john daly uh <laughs> um and their mechanics are great then that kind of narrows things down um i want to uh get to lo- get get to know quite a bit about what they're working on with their current swing coach if they have one uh, any feelings they they currently have in their swing um what 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 fears they have about misses on the course, what they feel like they struggle with on the course in terms of driver. We'll just isolate this down to driver, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, where they feel their misses come from. Do they feel like it's in their hands? Do they feel like they got kind of some lower body issues? Maybe they have no idea. Um, I want to know um, if I'm, if we're, let's say we're going to start with mechanics um, and the, um, then I'd certainly want to explore that, you know, are there some mechanics they can work on? Then I need to know where, where are some places that we can't go? I really do not like, uh, even if we're not talking about speed, we're talking about trying to just improve a golfer. I really don't want them doing anything they're uncomfortable with. Um, and chances are, you said they're a professional player. Um, they're already swinging at 115. So they can't be tragic, you know, unless they're the number one in strokes game putting for the last five years or something. Um, uh, and I think for a tour player asking them to do something that's uncomfortable, you need to be, you need to have a really, really good reason, um, and be really confident in that. So I am first going to explore every option from a mechanical standpoint to get them to do things, to improve those four factors, uh, while at the same time they feel comfortable doing it. Um, so if you've got someone just as I'll give a salient example, if you've got someone that really likes um, that flaring out the lead foot, um, at address. Um, they're like, yeah, this is my, you know, kind of a go-to move. I really like it as part of my swing. Something I'm working on. It helps me find fairways, but you're like, all right, well, I probably am not going to work on having this player lift the lead heel to increase their hand path length. Um, so right away I've kind of scratched that off. That's just kind of an awkward move. If you have that lead foot externally rotated, that's not somewhere I can go. So if I know that that's something they're comfortable with, um, you know, uh, if, if they really like how the club always feels in their hands, I'm going to say, okay, so the last drive you missed, where did you feel it? Where did you feel like it went wrong? Do you ever feel like you miss a shot because, you know, something's happened between your connection with the club? No, I don't even know what my hands are doing, or I really like the club always feels good. It's usually something else. And I'm probably not going to go anywhere near their grip at all, or getting them to change the amount of wrist cock they have at the top right? Which would incre- increase the angle that the club's going to rotate through. So um, through this conversation, I am whittling down ways that I could potentially change their mechanics uh, w- without getting to do something that's uncomfortable. Um, and um, 
that that goes also uh, you know uh, we're talking we're talking more about the the club but you know part of the the story needs to look at their interaction with the ground as well um and so i i would have a lot of questions about you know how they're using the ground um some players have an issue using the ground to get angular momentum into the body which then limits the amount they can get out to the club um so i'd be, be you know wanting to look at okay are there, are there things that we can tap there um so i'd want to know where we're at from a potentially changing them their mechanics standpoint that would something you know that's one avenue i'm going to go down um and then i'd want to know where they're at from a from a physical perspective you know so okay i'm assuming they can coordinate or let's say we got them i got some ideas about their mechanics um just just if you don't mind sasha before you touch on uh, the physical stuff in those mechanics so you mentioned obviously their mechanic their technique and how they use the ground would you do you have the ability to yourself or would you get someone else to do it but would you measure them on a force plate and with 3d or would you be kind of hoping that this person comes with that info already? Yeah, I would have certainly asked for it ahead of time. And that's what I've done in the past. Um, um, you know, I, uh, the, the most recent players that I've worked with, I have not done an assessment on a force plate um, or with 3D. Um, I haven't had to, I guess, because... Um, I've been fortunate enough to see a lot of swings both in person and then while and on the force plate. Um, and I, ha- I guess I haven't had to go there. If, if I thought that this person needed to improve their interaction with the ground, um, then I have, you know, a series of drills or things for them to try to see if that helps. Um, and if, if it didn't turn out, you know, Hey, wow, I think they're doing what I want them to do, but I'm not seeing an increase in club head speed. Um, then I would, you know, need to maybe collect some data to figure out what was going on. Um, but, uh, um, I wouldn't start there. Um, it's funny. I'm a biomechanist. I've got, you know, all this stuff in my lab, but I like to operate, uh, I guess kind of like, uh, like an old school coach where, I would rather just deal with the player's feels. I mean, I'm thinking in my head, this is the torque to putting on the ground with the right foot. This is, you know, we're probably not getting enough ground reaction force under the lead foot at this point in time. Um, but Would you be using uh, slow-mo video for this or just watching them? Just, yeah, just watching them? I, you know, I would certainly pull out my iPhone, uh, but mostly just watch them. I, I get more stuff. I would get more information at this point now most of the time out of watching a swing in real time. Okay. Um, and uh, to me, what I wouldn't do is not, I would never do uh, an assessment without a launch monitor, you know, flight scope, track man, GC quad, something like that. But to me, that's, I need to see the ball speed. I need to see, um, you know, the, the club head speed. That's what matters. Yeah. I think um, um, if I got stuck and I tried a bunch of stuff and we weren't making any progress and I didn't really know what was going on, then I'd say, hey, look, um, we need to collect some more detailed data to figure out what's, what's going on here. And, um, um, but yeah, um, that would be a last, probably a last resort. Um, uh, yeah. Um, any other questions before I dig? Those are good questions. No, no, that's, that's perfect. Like I was, I was just kind of curious, would you have, um, like if you were 
like obviously the thing we're trying to improve is clubhead speed, ball speed. They're they're the two big things that really matter. Yeah. I was just wondering if you would have say, let's just say for example, the player is one fifteen, like we mentioned. I was kind of thinking if you'd have um let's just say a bank of other players who were about this speed, you had their 3D data and you had their force plate data and you'd be kind of just looking through the numbers like, well, you're say, let's just say reasonably good on, let's just say uh, X factor stretch in the downswing or your wrist release angle or whatever it is, but your ground force is really poor. That's what we're going to try and go to. I was wondering if you'd have that, you know, from an initial assessment or is it more so you watch them swing and you're like, I already know what you can do right now to bump up that speed. And it sounds like you kind of go for the the second option when you can. Yeah. Knowing that I would have already done the first part for the last probably 20 yeah, years. And some of course. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's perfect. No, yeah. That's but um, I guess, yeah, you know, you, um, it, it's really helpful to be able to see the swing and see the date over and over again. And then you kind of, you know, and enough players also yeah. that were, you know, Hey, look, this is, this is that, probably an area where we're missing out on yeah that's that's one of the reasons kind of if you remember when i got in touch with you we had a phone call probably eight or ten months ago at this stage i was kind of saying to you that i've had tons of players who are going through the online training programs and i never even meet them and they might report back and these would be usually um lower skilled players than a tour pro so they'd have bigger margin for improvement but let's just say they send me an email in 12 weeks, I gained six miles per hour average club head speed in my driver. And you're like, that is great. I know what exercises I've prescribed. Mm-hmm. I have a I have a good idea kind of why I prescribe them, but I don't really know what's changed in terms of ground force or 3D or any of those four factors you talked about. I've never even seen their swing. I'm just getting a track man going from, you know, 96 to 102 and saying, great. So that's why I was kind of interested if you had, you know, particular um let's just say landmarks or are almost you know uh, key performance indicators that you're thinking okay if i touch on this that's probably what's going to help it most if that makes sense um yeah it, it yeah um i think i would have um if if it was kyle berkshire uh, I would need to measure him probably. Yeah, I understand. Everything, everything is already maxed out, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and for him, it's I would not worry about comfort. <laughs> you know, it'd be like you got one thing to do. You you can miss the grid four or five times. Yeah. We're looking for more speed. Um, versus like I like good examples. Guy like Bryson. Um, you know, it's pretty clear to me that he is his his transition is amazing. Um, but he's, you know, cutting himself short on hand path and club rotation, right? If you look, I don't know if you're yeah. watching that stuff that he does in oh, yeah. Omo's, uh, uh, living room when he was smashing balls with, with Berkshire. Um, but, uh, you know, he's, he's getting barely past parallel. Um, but I mean, all of a sudden you can't find the face a little bit. Exactly. And I think the biggest issue would be his, his ability to have a dynamic transition would probably suffer if he got longer. So, uh, you know, if he really, really worked at it, would it make a difference? I don't know. But um, if he was like, hey, I want to hit 150, well, then yeah, that's just not ignore the laws of physics here. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and I, you know, at the same time, I'd say his transition is probably better than Kyle's, to be honest. Um, but it's really tough to have a violent transition when you are. <laughs> 
very, <laughs> you know, very long. A club wrapped yeah. around your body. Exactly. Um, okay. Do you want to touch on some of the physical stuff you'd like to know, Sasha, about that uh, player from our imaginary case study? Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, you know, I think um, you have a lot of wiggle room in in golf. Uh, it's not like track and field where uh, even track and field, I guess you have a little bit of wiggle room. But, um, you know, uh, how much are you, how, how strong are you in the gym, how flexible you are? It's I can get a sense on, you know, we're trying to get to 125. We're not trying to get to 150. Um, so we don't need to be a physical specimen. Um uh, t- to be honest, but if, you know, if, like stuff like, all right, you know, can you do a few pull-ups, right? Like I, um, you could go to, you know, the level that a TPI goes to and do a, a, a full battery of, of, of tests. Um, um, but, I, um, I guess I could get a pretty decent sense just watching them kind of work out, throw some balls. Um, I don't even really need to measure too much. If you, if you did correlations between, uh, for golfers between vertical jump, standing long jump, that stuff, you'd see some correlation between their club head speed and those measures, but it wouldn't be ridiculously high. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I, I've had enough players, um, player I'm just working with now, McKenzie Tour player, um, um, played for the Gators for four years, um, has now 26, 27. So he's been trying to, you know, do the prof- make it professionally for a few years, uh, grinds every day. This is a full-time job. Uh, came to me, club at speed was 113. Um, and uh, my approach is always very conservative. Like, hey, you're he's trending up, you know, slowly. So let's get some more club head speed. Let's try one thing at a time. Um, so we worked on some mechanics stuff first, saw some improvements, who's happy with the mechanics, you know, finding better fairways. And then we started um, working on a little bit of flexibility. Um, and because he was already doing some stuff in the gym. And I was like, well, let's, I, I don't want to revamp everything. You know, you're, you're healthy. Um, so the flexibility stuff. And then I felt um, that I wanted to put him on some, some speed training because he was strong enough. You know, he, you know, I could do 10 pull-ups. He was doing incline bench with some 65-pound dumbbells. You know, I was like, all right, well, uh, you know, he was deadlifting 200 pounds pretty easily. So it's like, what am I, you know there's not much for me to gain here because at 113 he should be able to swing faster than that so to me the 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 low and he was flexible enough the lowest hanging fruit was um uh what i call variable inertia speed training um so i've got uh, i think i sent you a, a a version of the product that i use for the longest time i've been kind of using this hack stuff that i kind of make myself which is basically a golf club shaft that i can change the weights on the end um to a fine degree um and uh yeah put put them on uh, a program of of swinging the you know cer- certain sets are heavier than his driver certain sets are lighter than his driver really the weight is just a means to get to a certain percentage of speed which i'll talk about in a bit um but put them on a, a conservative program uh got up to 116 um over an eight-week period and then we got a little bit more uh, aggressive with the program it went up to uh, 120 and then uh, just about to finish this third program, um, uh, really like a phase, but I divided up differently anyway. Um, and uh, just in the lab um, three days ago um, and his club head speed with his driver uh, ranged between 125.8 and 128.6. Wow. Yeah. So he's, and he's back heading back to Florida to hopefully um, put it in action. Um, and uh, you know, it's uh, it, 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 I didn't, we kept stretching, 
he just, uh, you know, did some general fitness. It's, you know, it's his full-time job. So he, you know, does a little jog and a stretch in the morning. Um, and I didn't have to go into much extreme stuff in terms of the gym or in terms of, you know, I was ready to do med ball throws. I was ready to do some plyos. I was ready to do some sprinting. He but, already had quite a high level of that though. That That's correct, right? Enough. Hockey player growing up, pretty yeah. physical. I think that's important. An important point for I know the the case study that I brought up was uh, was a tour player because that's where I kind of really wanted to to get your insights. But mm-hmm. for the you know fifty year old fifteen handicapper who you know hasn't been exercising, there's probably going to be a much different pathway for them to gaining you know ten or or twelve miles an hour versus yeah. a person who already has this exceptionally you know explosive background and is already very strong. Yes. Yes. So. Um, yeah, I would, I would want to see a minimum level of strength, uh, from the tour player, you know, um, and I, I, I'd be worried about them wasting their time doing stuff that wasn't going to help as much as, um, giving them the right stuff to do. Um, uh, you know, like, uh, are you doing a ton of cardio? Um, nothing wrong with, you know, hopping on the bike and going for a workout if, if you have that time in your day. Um, but you know, we really, after you fire in some sleep, we got about 168 hours uh, a week to work with, um, you know, and uh, maybe it should be better spent in the putting green than uh, going for a hard hour bike ride. Um, so I'm always cognizant of that. What, what, you know, what, what's the best thing you can be doing right now to lower your, your score overall? Um, and for most people, though, club head speed is a very quick way to do that. Yeah, especially if you had that tour player kind of gaining 10 miles an hour. Yeah. Um, so, um, I, I guess, um, I would, I would hundred percent, this person would be on the, you know, a, a variable inertia speed training program that I w- would do at some point or another, I would put in that it's the, to me, it's the, always the lowest hanging fruit. Um, you, there's multiple pathways to increasing club head speed by, um, you know, swinging, swinging, uh, an implement really fast. Um, yeah, and maybe if you want, I'll touch on the, the theory behind that because that's the bulk of what I would do. Yeah, so the kind of thing in my head here now, like my, my say, job and background is strength and conditioning with, you know, no no real education in, in golf biomechanics, just, you know, an interest and in something I'm trying to get better at. In terms of kind of what your saying would be the low hanging fruit and where you think the big gains may be you're definitely trending from what i can see towards more the the real i'm going to say ultra specific stuff like overload and underload swing speed training and not so much on the development of raw physical capabilities like muscle mass muscle strength muscle power you think that most people probably already have let's say, or especially somebody who has trained already a little bit, once they've gotten a decent base of strength, you think the big gains will be from the more specific stuff to get a greater transfer to the swing? Yeah, um, especially if they're healthy um, and they're at that, that certain level already. And, you know, and it, it's not, I mean, we can all, uh, I'm not diminishing the importance of being physically fit and, and flexible. You know, there could be, 
there could be some clear, clear issues that need to be addressed before I'd put them on a, a, a you know, a, a variable speed training program, variable inertia speed training program. But um, most golfers, if I look across the PGA Tour today, most of them are ready to to do that. You know, yeah, they could see some gains from, um, get, you know, getting stronger, getting more flexible. Um, but I would pretty quickly want to see what they can get out of, uh, you know, this variable inertia training program first okay. and then, and then say, Hey, look, all right. Well, um, looks like, looks like your underlying abilities aren't quite your physical abilities to move something aren't quite there. Now let's, you know, Hey, I've topped out at 118. Well, let's get in the gym and move some weight around. Um, looks like your flexibility is still a big issue. Um, you know, th- then I would also start to address those, but I've seen an, enough people who, are not overly impressive individuals in the gym um, get to a sufficient level of club head speed. You know, everything I, I think people are finally maybe um, moving on side with me, but I would used to get into arguments about uh, what biomechanics lead to fast club head speeds. And some would say, well, John Rahm doesn't have a long hand path. And look, he's got a crazy fast swing at 122. And I'd be like, well, 122 is not fast, right? 150 is fast. 122 is just okay. So in the grand scheme of what athletes can do to move and implement, right? Uh, we, we getting to 125, uh we got a lot of ways we can we can do that, I think. Yeah. The other I I'm going to ask you to to go into some of the theory behind the the variable inertia swing training now. And I think a point as well that's useful for people to understand, especially at the higher levels of play is it's way easier than absolutely smashing yourself, trying to gain muscle mass and push heavy weights in terms of how long it takes, the energy it takes and how long it takes to recover from. It's definitely a less intrusive uh, method of training than, than, you know, real um, training for maximal strength and muscle mass. Yeah. yeah, Look, I I think it's so important when discussing these ideas to, to take a bigger picture and look at other sports as well and try to come up with analogies and, and you know, um, what are other people doing other sports? And I, you know, coming from a track and field background, um, if you had to choose between just outright sprinting for training or going into the gym to lift weights and do cleans oh, there's no, and there's no question. Yeah. Sprinting. Yeah. yeah you, you sprint to get faster. Um, and, and so that's where it's like, well, I want to, you know, let's swing the club to get faster. And, and you, if you, a sprint um, at 95% effort every day for five years, you will not get faster, right? And so lots of people think, well, I, God, you know, hit 100 balls a day with my driver. Uh, yeah, but it's at 95% or at 90%. Um, you're not going to get faster. And even if you take, um, having worked with, you know, uh, mid-distance athletes, um, and the number one issue I see with someone trying to run a faster 800 1500 is they don't sprint enough. yeah right so and, and having arguments with the 600 meter runner who's like i keep dying at the end of the race um and they're like i need more endurance stuff i need to do longer stuff and i'm and you know then showing them an athlete who's running a 115 600 and they're running a 117 600 and i'm saying well do you know what their 60 meter time is yeah their 60 meter time is kicking your 60 meter time yeah. by way more and you go okay well they're running that 600 at a 90% effort. You're running it at 93. That's why you're bagged at the end of the race. Um, so 
um, it's really important to be able to uh, improve uh, what that maximum capability that you have. And and I don't care if you hit a thousand balls a day with your driver. It's at, if it's at ninety five percent, you're not going to move the needle. And it might only take thirty swings at a hundred percent, and all yeah. of a sudden, boom, you bust through. So many analogies. Um, I had a guy going through for um, uh, the final stages of going through to be an astronaut, right, to make the cut. And one of the things they they had to do was a certain number of pull-ups. That is one of these random physical tests. And he was stuck. Um, He couldn't get past, I think it was 12 at the time he was, okay, which was the minimum. He's like, he wanted to make sure in case he was tired that he could still do this, this minimum. And I had him doing, I said, well, let's do some loaded ones. Do some sets of four. And within a couple of weeks, he was doing 15, 16, and he didn't understand the concept of, yeah, let's overload that overload. system, right? Um, yeah. So it, there's so many different uh, analogies from other areas. Can you break down then, Sasha, the idea of the overload and the underload swings and also maybe um, – what the differences in speed that you like to see between the overload and underload are. Yeah, the way, sure. Yeah, the way that I've tried to explain it to people as best as possible and keep it quite simple is that the lighter the lighter implements we swing, our overloading velocity, our speed, they get us used to moving faster. And then the overloaded implements that are heavier, because they're heavier, they force us to slow down. And when we're slowed down, we have a little bit more time to produce force and gain some more strength. But if you have you know, a, a deeper insight into that and definitely how you determine the, the speed gain from the lighter one and the speed drop off from the heavier one, that would be fantastic, I think. Yeah, that's, pre- oh, no, that's a pretty good explanation, Mike. Um, so what's important to realize is that when we go into the gym to get stronger, the stimulus is the weight we're lifting, right? So I'm lifting 80 pounds and I'm going to increase the stimulus. I'm going to lift 85 pounds. When we're doing what I call variable inertia speed training, we're changing the mass, but that's not the variable that's important. The variable that's important is the speed, right? And But the way we manipulate speed is by changing the mass of the implement. Um and I, th- I think that might get lost a bit um, in, in some sports where we have a, an object like a baseball bat, a golf club, a tennis racket, where it's like, oh, let's just change the weight of this versus um, where kind of this stuff mostly comes from. If you look at uh, track and field. Um, so, you know, back when I was training as an athlete and then as I was a coach, it was quite obvious that if it, it, we were trying to run at a certain percentage lower than our current speed, right? And so we'd tow a sled that would, you know, um, with a bungee on it. And, and um, the coach would make sure, I would make sure when I was the coach that if, if I was running uh, an 11 second hundred, then I didn't want my time to get any slower than 12 seconds, let's say. And we wouldn't be running the full hundred. So yeah, but you have a tight percentage kind of drop off or gain either that, way. On that's right. That's, that's right. But there might be a five, eight, 145 pound guy beside me and a six foot six, 220 pound guy on the other side of me. We're all running 11 second hundreds, but we have very different amounts of weight loaded on these sleds mm-hmm. to, in order to get us at that percentage of, of speed. Same with um, if I was trying to run, run faster. And this, this gets at, uh, I'll, I'll throw in a, a, a word of support to how you describe the overspeed. So when getting towed, what we would do is we would calibrate, all right, we get some of that long surgical tubing, 
and a person would um, stretch out in front of us, right? And we would get a sense of how far this person had to stretch out because we, we, we'd then we'd run the, the rep, right? So they'd go down like 30 meters down the track. We'd be at the start line. They'd be pulling on us. And then we'd run our, you know, 50 meters or whatever we were running. We'd get our time um, from the Brower timing system. And, and we'd quickly realize, okay, that was too fast. That was too slow. And then we'd know how far they could stretch out, right? Yeah. And when we say go, they'd start running as well. But the big heavy guy, the guy that the partner he's working with down the track, he's got his thing stretched out another 20 meters past me. So, he, you know, he's getting a different level of, of assistance in order to hit that certain percentage. And, it, you know, when you do the overspeed with, with track and field, it, you are, it's about trying to recover your limbs faster in the cycle. It's about getting used to um, moving your body really, really fast, um, versus towing the sled. Like you said, you're, you're recruiting a little bit more muscle to get more force, even though you're moving, moving slower. Um, and so, um, there's no, there's no physical formula for what the percentage should be. That's something we have to figure out through experimental research. Um, and, uh, one thing that I've been doing in my lab for the past five years is go- every uh, spring to summer, there's been someone coming in here, oh, every half hour. Um, and starting five years ago, I d- started with simple stuff. Okay, um, let's go six groups. Three groups are doing, um, they're going to load up weights so that they're swinging at 98, 95, 92, 85% of their club head speed with their driver. Other groups are doing faster. Okay, let's see how, uh, you know, after six weeks, 18 sessions, um, how fast are they moving at the end, right? Who, who, everybody, everybody gets faster. It, 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 it's very few people just swing and implement won't get faster. Maybe a PGA Tour Pro wouldn't because, you know, they, they've done a lot of swings. Um, but, um, you know, you spend six weeks and you gain 0.8 miles per hour versus the person beside you who's been coming in and they got six. And you're like, well. I've been working just as hard. Yeah, but you've been working at not quite the correct percentage. Then four years ago, I would start to mix it up. Let's do three weeks heavy. Let's then do some light. Then let's have a group that's doing light and heavy within that. And so let's track all these these people um, and you start to settle in on some some percentages. And then you start to also settle in on – so what I do now, what I would do with this tour player is I would do some baseline testing. So the – um, the implement that I have, the product that's coming out, it's called the stack. So it's got a bunch of different weights on it. And what I would do is I would have the player in a baseline test. They swing, um, really light to really heavy in sets of four so that we get an, a good indication of what their speed is. And I, I get what I would call a, a force velocity profile for their swing. Okay. And then I also have them do single arm swings, trail arm and lead arm. Um, with a very light weight on there, um, you know, would feel a little bit heavier than a tennis racket. Some, some, it's, it's a weight where they should be able to swing about the same as their own driver um, with when they have two hands on it, right? So if you've got the radar out and you're swinging your driver at 120, then the, the weight that I've put on the, uh, the stack is uh, such that they should be able to, with either their trail or lead arm, swing it at 120. Yeah. But I get this... Um, this force velocity profile of their swing. And it's not the same for everybody. Um, um, Some people seem to not drop off, right? Load this thing up with 300 grams and they're still swinging it at, 
um, 96% of their, their driver speed. And this thing is really heavy compared to the driver, right? So th- this person's got tons of strength. Um, but, okay, I've got this thing now down to um, a really kind of light percentage of their driver speed, but they just can't seem to move the needle relative to, um, you know, an average. So it's like this person needs to focus on some, uh, some lighter stuff. Um, um, and then, uh, I like to do the single arm stuff cause you know, there's been a few, um, players that I've worked with, um, who, okay. Swinging at 108, um, good players, tour players swinging at 108. That's not going to get it done. Okay. Let's go really light, go down to something that's, you know, like close to a naked shaft, probably a naked shaft with like, maybe about 60 grams on the end of a driver shaft and lead arm 130. Okay, that's pretty good. Trail arm, 107, 108, 107. So it's like, okay, your lead arm is just pulling, pulling your trail arm along with it. Um, so let's train the let's train the slower arm, and if we can greatly increase that, see the transfer to when you have both hands back on the club. Yeah, and and I and then with the with the single arm stuff, it becomes um, a little more nuanced because usually they're so uncoordinated that you know you probably run the risk of injuring somebody if. So it's more it's a few weeks of tempo stuff. You yeah. know, it's like like it's more kind of uh, like swing coordination. It's like the muscles there, but it just doesn't for whatever reason is not helping. And and I've got some theories about why that is. You know, if you've if you've um, worked yourself into a pattern where this, the way you use your, let's say it's your trail arm, the way you use your trail arm is actually detrimental to the ball flight, whether it's from a speed perspective or could be, Hey, if it's too active in the way you're moving it, you're going to end up slicing it or topping it or whatever it is. Um, then you're like, well, maybe I'll just not use it. (laughs) I'll just tone it down. And then you don't use it. Well, it'd be way better if you actually had it actively being used in a way that would help contribute to the swing. Um, yeah. Um, and so those, the, 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 the load that you put on is, is really just an intermediate step. I need to know the speed that you're swinging that at, cause it needs to be at a certain percentage of your, uh, club at speed. So I'm kind of dancing around, around that answer, but the per- exact percentages that I would have someone swinging at would depend on that. Load forward. velocity profile. Yes, exactly. Yep. Um, just, I, I want to kind of make sure listeners aren't lost in that. Like, I, I understand exactly what you're talking about, but I want to just try and summarize for people who don't have a background in this. You call it a force velocity profile. I'd usually refer to it as a load velocity profile, but I think we're talking about the same thing. What Sasha, or you can correct me here if I'm wrong, but I want people to to get this. What that usually is, is... If you take your, let's just say your driver and your driver speed is 100 miles an hour, and then you go 5% under your driver weight, you'd expect to see, let's just say, a 5% drop off in speed. And if you went 5% above it, you'd expect to see, or sorry, you'd expect to see a 5% increase in speed. If you went 5% lighter, you might expect to see a 5% decrease in speed if you went heavier. And what you can sort of figure out what your load velocity profile is you would expect or the the model profile would be that there's the same increment of change as you go lighter you should see a, a subsequent increase and as you go heavier you should see a, sub, a subsequent decrease in speed but because we're all various different individuals put together differently 
sometimes what you see is with certain people as the weight gets lighter they might not get that much faster but as the weight gets heavier they don't really slow down that much and that person would be a good uh, subject to focus on more lighter club fast work but you may also have somebody who's the complete opposite as the club gets lighter their speed is great but as soon as the weight starts getting heavier, they can't produce speed at all. And they might be somebody who's a little bit, let's just say, weaker and would do better with a heavier weighted club. Yep, that was, yep, I would agree with. Okay, yeah, just so, just so people can, can get an idea of that. If you find that your light ones are fantastic, your heavy ones aren't very good, well, then it's probably a sign you need more heavy ones and vice versa. Yeah, Yep. And more, you know, when, when I work with uh, juniors, that's where the, um, I really like the, this, uh, the stack thing that I'm using now. Um, and, and I have them, uh, I need to know what their driver length is, right? Most, most junior driver heads, if it's a decent player and they're fitted, you know, the driver head's going to be 190, 200 grams. So if I know their driver length, um, then I can set up the program um, uh, so that they're using the correct weights, right? So a nine-year-old is going to be swinging very different uh, weights than a fourteen-year-old, mm-hmm. um, and and so the, the the weights that would populate the program get scaled depending on their driver. Because in the end, that's the implement we're trying to swing faster, right? So everything should be based around what is it relative to to your driver and. For most uh, most adult males, um, most drivers are, are similar enough. Um, you know, you don't get, uh, but you know, some tour pros, pros use really heavy ones. But usually, you got a two hundred gram driver head, and it's somewhere between forty five and a quarter to forty six right now. Maybe, yeah. maybe we'll see a few more forty eight. Exactly, yeah. Sasho, I have two more questions for you, and then I'm going to let you go. I'm conscious of not taking up too much of your time, and you've been very generous so far. Increasing backswing speed is a common piece of advice uh, given to increase club head speed. We know the speed at which muscle and tendon is stretched or loaded is important for subsequent force production, the, the stretch shortening cycle. My question is about loading the shaft, a term that I've seen kind of used or thrown around in, in golf circles. And what I'm asking is that, is there something about increasing speed of the backswing that is separate to loading your muscles and tendons, but you're absolute, you're actually loading the shaft or loading the club a little bit differently, which is beneficial for downswing speed? Or does it, is that a thing? Yeah, uh, probably only from a feel and confidence perspective. Okay. It feels really good. I like it. <laughs> I like when I feel like I really load the shaft and, you know, um, uh, when my speed is low and my shaft is too stiff, I, I hate it. I don't like that feeling at all um, that I can't really load the shaft. Um, but um, I published a study uh, a few years ago that showed um, negligible difference if you have a group of players swing a really stiff shaft and really flexible shaft. Um, the shaft contributes more to club head speed, but that shaft kicking forward actually slows your hands down more. Okay. Um, so there's, you can go to my webpage, sashamckenzie.com, if you want to find that paper. Um, yeah, so there's a really neat graph where it's like, hey, look, kick velocity will goes way up with this um, flexible shaft. But it kicks when it's kicking forward, it slows the hands down. We're in a really weak position, um, you know, in a golf swing as we come to impact. Uh, we're not in a really strong position. We're moving really fast. So that shaft, apply, the grip applying force back on us um, 
slows our hands down and we end up with almost negligible change in, in club head speed. Now, um, fitting, if you want to go on a bit of a, a, a goose uh, chase, some people will fit themselves into a shaft quite unpredictably where they can find a little bit more speed. Um, and that's more about, in my opinion, feel, confidence, comfort that some true physical effect you might see with a with a robot. So, yeah. Yeah, so that idea of loading the shaft, it's not like some physical phenomenon about putting energy into the club or anything like that. It probably is just a good feeling and mm-hmm. the resultant increase in speed is from something else that you're doing. Like you're moving something else better or are essentially yeah and there's certainly a little bit you know some of the research i've done with ping looking at um loading shafts um is that people load the shaft very differently and that can actually put the club head in a better position that creates this chain reaction of events that actually makes it a little bit easier to square the face depending on how you load the shaft moves that center mass around relative to the force factor but that's a story for another day perfect sasha i try and finish every episode with some practical advice from the guest that the listener can put into practice right away. Many of the listeners have access to personal launch monitors. If they're going to the range tomorrow, what are one or two key things that they should experiment with in their swing right away to try and boost speed? I know you've, you've touched on them a little bit earlier, but a real quick run through someone goes to the range tomorrow. They're usually 95 or hundred on their radar. What would you say? Try each of these for five swings and see what happens to your speed. Uh, yeah, well, I guess I, I like, you know, lift the lead heel. Try to make sure your, your pelvis is uh, rotating, your lower body is moving, moving um, in, in the backswing. Um, to me, the average amateur, the transition sequence um, is usually the, the biggest issue, you know, like our, is that lower body going first? Is the pelvis starting to rotate, the hips starting to rotate before the torso? Uh, are they getting a nice stretch across that lead shoulder? Or are they yanking that arm off their chest before they even start to transition? It's going to come off really quick, but I find that that feeling of the whole thing kind of coiling against itself in the downswing. Um, don't max out your wrist cock angle um, at the uh, at the finish of the backswing. Think of like someone like uh, Xander Shoffley, if you want to, you know, kind of, I don't know if you're, like, he's, Seems to have a ton of width, um, and he gets a, just a little bit increase in that wrist cost, cock angle. Nothing quite like a Gary Woodland, but I like to see little stretches across all the the segments um, into the downswing. Um, the longer and those two things are kind of at odds with each other. Really, if you're going to practice a better transition sequence, then uh, have a, a backswing length like John Rom or Tony Finnell. You know, so um, and then hey, if you can do that with a long hand path yeah. now you're now you're talking but practicing um to have a really nice dynamic transition while also maximizing your hand path length at the same it's time very difficult very difficult so i like feeling like i've got room room to move um my segments relative to each other into the downswing um if i'm going to work on that transition sequence and then once it's just like giving your, it's, it's like, it's like uh, taking a beginner and saying, all right, let's practice um, uh, how to hit some chip shots and dropping all the balls and random lies in the rough. <laughs> it's like, yeah, this is going to be really tough to learn. You know, take your eight year old out uh, the first time playing golf and practice chipping, have them all on tees, right? It's going to be a, a, a lot easier to get over that hump. Same thing. If you want to work on a transition sequence, give yourself some, some room um, 
so don't max out your backswing while you're doing it. Yeah, and- I think that's a great point. People may gain speed, especially if they don't, if they're maybe you know not a very skilled player, by actually slowing down and improving their mechanics rather than just trying to max out the say inefficient mechanics that they have. I'm at the point now where um, I don't practice enough, and if if I'm swinging uh, the stack, that thing that I have, and I'm trying for max speed, then a fast backswing is really helpful. And I saw you at a tip where, yeah, I'll pick up; it'll pick up 28, 29 miles per hour in the backswing. The radar device I've got yeah. a PRGR, and you know it's like okay, better swing a bit slower, but or I just ignore those swings. Um, but if I tried to do it with my driver right now, uh, I do not increase ball speed. I my swing thought. And hopefully I practice more and that'll change. My swing thought is like Hideki Matsuyama, you know, and that's how I get my most speed with my driver um, opposite to what I, what I preach, I guess, for people to try. So I'm reasonably athletic, decent golfer and fast backswing with the driver right now kills my speed. Um, even though I, I'm well aware of the physical principles, I just cannot master the coordination of transition in the downswing without losing the face completely. Yeah, it just it just highlights the importance of experimentation and also potentially feel versus what's actually really happening, I think yeah. is, uh, is another thing there. Sasho, lastly, where can people learn more from you? Where can they go to to pick up some info? And if you want to talk about the stack, what exactly that is, when it will be available or anything else, what, what should people uh, go and search online? Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm a bit of a recluse, but you can. Uh, when I do say something worthwhile, I usually put it on Twitter at Sasha McKenzie on Twitter, and um, yeah, hopefully uh, we're, we should be launching in a couple of weeks. Uh, so the day right now is the 15th. We're we're hoping for February 1st. Uh, you can go to the stacksystem.com. It's going to be a really awesome product, fun app. It's basically what I've been doing with all my players, but now um, everybody else will, will have access to it. Yeah, cool. Do you want to mention who you co-designed it with? I think that's something that people will be pretty interested in. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I had the programming ideas, but um, uh, teamed up with um, Marty Jertson, um, engineer uh, at Ping. Um, who and plays I, majors in his spare time. Yeah. So he was doing this, you know, it helped him with some of his uh, training early on, mostly with some deadlifts and some speed training, but now he's crazy fast 40. He's in his forties, but swinging, you know, mid one twenties. And he's played in six majors, I believe made the cut at the PGA at Beth page black. Um, and uh, yeah, so he's like, Hey, I can design, I can, you know, I had a pretty ugly looking product and he's like, let's, let's improve the design on this. And, and we teamed up with a pretty awesome, uh, app guy, Roger Cottom, who's designed the, uh, the TrackMan app and the iPing app. So, um, it's a pretty sweet little set of kit. We're excited. That's brilliant. About. Yeah. Marty is maybe someone I'd have to get on when you can work full time for ping and manage to qualify for majors on your, on your holiday days, he might have something figured out. Yeah, he's a pretty amazing person. Sasha, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And hopefully we'll talk soon. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. I actually enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Sasha as much as I did. I think he brought some really interesting information that we can use in pursuit of a better game and particularly increased club head speed and distance. If you like these podcasts, I would really appreciate if you could take 10 seconds and leave a rating and review on the Apple Podcast um, app or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any questions or recommendations for future guests, 
please get in touch. You can find me on social media at fit underscore four underscore golf or on my website www.fitforgolf.blog. Thank you very much for listening and I will hopefully have a new episode out soon.